Greta Hassel, and I'm your podcast host for The Wise Podcast. Today, I have a very special guest here. I'll let her introduce herself. Go ahead. Hi, everyone. My name is Scarlett Gauthier. I'm a master's student in kind of the field of quantum technology, and I'm studying in the Netherlands for this. Uh, my background is in mathematical physics, and I completed my bachelor's degree at the University of Waterloo in Canada. I think I'm a pretty active person, but also pretty involved uh, academically, and I really like to spend time with my friends, kind of keep a well-rounded life, I think. <laughs> no, awesome. I'm so excited to hear more about you. So where are you pursuing your master's right now? I am studying at the Technical University of Delft. Uh, it's a rather well-known school, especially for engineering or architecture. And they've invested a lot recently in kind of quantum technology because the Dutch government has given a lot of funding for that area. Wow, that's so cool. How did you find out about that opportunity? How did you decide that you wanted to go to the Netherlands? And kind of how did you get on that route? So it was kind of a very interesting pathway for me because I used to work for a professor um, at a university in the US and his group had kind of close ties to a group here. And so the professor that I now work with, who is at TU Delft, she came to visit and I was in Boston. And one of the members of my lab was like, oh, you should go meet her. So I sent her an email and she was like, sure, we can meet at MIT tomorrow. <laughs> and so I went and we had coffee and she told me about her lab and she was very, very nice and very encouraging. And she told me about a scholarship opportunity that was available here, which basically pays for your entire master's and like pays you to be here, which is great. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. Um, so yes, yeah, so that's how it all started, really. And can you speak about what your lab is orientated around? What are you studying in the lab? Can you speak about that? Sure. Uh, my group is very theory oriented. So our group is focused on the field of quantum communication. So the idea is to try and establish a quantum version of the internet, basically. So to connect different quantum devices. And there are a lot of challenges associated with that. And there's also a lot of kind of planning you have to do because if you lay the groundwork really well now, even though a lot of technologies aren't good, you might be able to upgrade them in the future. But the decisions you make now could impact the upgradability later on. Right. So that's something people are interested in. No, that, that's very fascinating. Do you have like a specific thing that you're working on right now? I'm intrigued to know what type of things that you would kind of be laying the basis for and then upgrading. Sure. Um, so this is more an example of something that somebody else in my group is working on. But what they are doing is kind of considering if you have an internet, it has nodes and it communicates between those nodes. And so something that they're looking at is how far apart should you place those nodes or if there's asymmetry between them. So the spacing isn't even how that will affect the workings of the internet. And that type of thing is kind of much harder to change later because you've kind of already created bases that will be your nodes. So planning that really well now has an impact into the future. Great, that's so fascinating. Okay, I kind of want to go back in time and ask about your high school experiences. How did you decide that you wanted to go into mathematical physics when you were 18 right, or going to Waterloo? Um, so I think that the way that I got put onto this path is also the main reason I ended up at Waterloo too. So I had a sort of general interest in physics. Um, I didn't want to take physics in the first place in high school, but once I did, I really enjoyed it much more than I thought I would. And so I started reading some books kind of about 
more advanced physics or just really popular physics, but marketed at people who maybe have at least a little bit of background in science. And so I read one, read one book by uh, Neil Turek, who is now the director of the Perimeter Institute for Theoretical Physics. And basically in that book, he told all about like the universe at different levels, like from the quantum to the cosmological level. And that was really, really fascinating to me. But the other thing that he said was basically that he got to do math all day. He was a mathematical physicist and that was kind of his life. And to me at the time that sounded great. <laughs> I was like, I would like to do math all day. And when I was applying to university, I was also kind of really scared that it would be really hard. <laughs> and I was much stronger in math than I was in physics. So I figured if I was in mathematical physics, maybe I could kind of float myself on my math grades if the physics part got too hard. Mm -hmm. And Waterloo was kind of the only school that offered a program for that, at least that I saw. Oh, that's interesting. And how about like the physics realm? Would you say that you've gotten better at that now through all the practice and experience that you've had? Or do you still prefer the math side of it more? I'd say now I'm probably stronger in the physics side of things. Um, I think it's because as you study it or as you pursue it, you build a lot of intuition. Or even for me, I think the most valuable part of university was some of the best profs really focus on trying to help you build your intuition and help you understand how to approach problems in general. And I think having that kind of training really expanded it for me and made it um, better overall. <laughs> I completely agree. I find that there is some profs out there that kind of just fit the information onto you and you're just expected to learn it yourself and kind of memorize it rather than actually understanding why you were doing why it works that way. I'm a I'm a life science major, so I can't really relate to the physics side of part of it. But like, for example, biological system, you need sure. to understand why it works that way, not necessarily um, memorize all the details about it. You have to, or I guess with a math problem, you have to kind of be good at going through the steps and the motions until you kind of get stuck. And then you go, okay, hey, maybe I need to go back here. But that's important to get that type of education to learn that, oh no, maybe I just did something wrong. I have to go back. I agree. Also, sorry. <laughs> no worries. I just think some of the best professors also are the people who really kind of inspire you a little bit. Like they can show you something that you've never heard of before and really make you care about it. Like if they care about it, they can make you care about it. And I think that's kind of the best part. I agree. Did you experience kind of that level of prof sophistication in all four years? Or was it kind of in your later years that you experienced that inspiring interaction with your professors? I think I got pretty lucky with some of my professors because I did experience that throughout the years. So definitely not with every single professor or anything. But I remember in my first year, there was one math professor who really kind of stole the show in terms of creating a narrative for the course that he was teaching. And really, although he was teaching us advanced calculus, he really sold it to us like a story and made it completely engaging. Of course, a lot of the more, here, let me introduce you to a field and let me show you how fascinating it is, has come from the physics professor side. But I think at all levels, there was somebody there who kind of Inspired made you. things very, very interesting. What? What about, so obviously mathematical is very time consuming. You probably spend most of your time studying. But besides that, in your everyday life now and back when you were in university, 
what did you do to keep a lifestyle balance? How did you balance your schoolwork versus your social life? Yeah, so I think on a personal level, one thing that's really always kept me going or kept me well-rounded has been incorporating exercise into my day pretty much every day. So I do a lot of yoga either at home or at a studio. At a studio is so much nicer because you're kind of in a community, but at home really makes it an everyday sort of activity. But beyond that, I've also uh, rock climbed quite a bit. When I was younger, like in high school, I did it competitively, and now I do it just as personal interest. Mm-hmm. So I keep that up, and then I love to read. Uh, I love to meet friends. A lot of the time that used to be going to cafes or things like that. These days it's going for walks, maybe. <laughs> maybe you still visit a cafe, but outdoors. <laughs> or there's a lot of fun for me in learning new things as well. So I love to try and pick up a new language or these days I'm trying to learn piano a little bit. Oh, wow. What about, um, how did you get into competitive rock climbing? I feel like that's obviously not necessarily considered a mainstream sport. How did you get into that? It was really luck of the draw, I think. My dad had a bit of climbing experience and he tried taking me when I was really young. And the first time I remember... I was very excited. I went all the way up and then going up was no problem, but coming down was a very big problem. (laughs) And so there were tears shed that day, but uh, he took me again a couple of years later and that time everything was okay. And I kind of just kept with it since then. I was going maybe once a week in the beginning and joining some youth teams after that and staying in kind of the youth team scene. And yes, when I was doing it, it was a very, very small sport, very few people in each category. But I think in the last three, four years, it's really blown up a lot. Well, it's so interesting, obviously very physically straining and you have to be able to problem solve as well as you're doing it. So that's interesting that you're kind of connecting like the physical side and your um, mental knowledge side when you're rock climbing. Do you find that it's kind of like a problem solving? It's like, oh, I go here, but if I go there, then I might not be able to go there. Do you find you experience that with rock climbing? I think so. I think uh, being able to visualize exactly what your body is going to do on the wall and what maybe the moves are going to feel like or how they're going to play out in terms of the distance that each one of your limbs spans really makes a big difference. So solving the problem, they definitely overlap. And I've noticed... I've noticed a very large number of physicists rock climb, like surprisingly so, which is very weird maybe, but also very cool. No, that's a very interesting correlation there. I think that's that's so cool. I think it's such an interesting sport. I myself, I can't remember the last time I rock climbed and I feel like he was at a birthday party when I, when I was younger, but it is, it, it, it is really, really fun. All right, so Scarlett, what about during your undergraduate Waterloo degree? What was the most memorable thing that you experienced there? I guess some of the most memorable experiences for me were kind of my co-op experiences or even just the whole process around co-op because it's kind of a big deal. You go through preparing for interviews, applications, um, and then going off to some destination usually. And so my kind of best co-op experience, I was working at Harvard University, which I kind of mentioned earlier, um, and it it's in Boston. So I was moving to the U.S. for the first time. And so many things about that were memorable. I was working in a really amazing group. Um, it gave me 
my first introduction to working in kind of quantum science. So being able to test the waters with that really helped me know that it was a good direction to continue pursuing. I was also doing it experimentally. And that's very interesting for someone with a background in mathematical physics because we're really theoretically trained and not hands-on so much. So really big learning curve, but I was surrounded by really great people and I got to do a lot during my time there. I learned so much, um, but I also got to have a lot of fun being part of a larger group and really feeling supported like that. Um, we'd go to the beach sometimes with group members, like postdocs, me, PhD students. It was really great. Um, and yeah, it helped. It just helped grow my interests so much, I think. How did you find that kind of community lifestyle change from a Canadian university to the States? Did you find there was a big difference? I think that the biggest difference was really coming from an undergraduate perspective to suddenly being thrust into something that was more like a pre-PhD position. Because when you're an undergraduate student, you usually just kind of work maybe in contact with one person as opposed to being immersed in a group setting maybe. Um, but if you're in a research group, it's kind of like a small family because the group depends on all the different members to make each of the tasks they want to accomplish happen. So I think that was a really new environment, but some of the groups in the US also, they have like a very hard work culture, like you need to work every day of the week or, you know, you need to come in on weekends. And certainly I worked some long days and I came in on some weekends, but my group had a very positive culture around that, I think. So that's, yeah, I think that it can be overwhelming sometimes. Though. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's so important to have that balance. Uh, like you said, you said that you read quite frequently and you do yoga and all of that is so important to incorporate into your everyday and kind of just ensure that you're making time for yourself. Because if you're not, you're going to uh, drain yourself out and you're going to burn out. So you, you never want that to happen. Have you ever experienced yourself kind of go through a phase where you're constantly on the move and you haven't really had a lot of time for yourself? Have you ever experienced a burnout in that sense? So I think that I've had my kind of periods of burnout not quite overlapping with when I'm at my busiest because I think during my very busiest times, I've been able to just be like, goal, 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 accomplish goals. We're really not having a lot of time for other things right now. We just need to make it through this period of that. <laughs> but I think I have had a couple of periods of burnout where either my motivation was low or I just, yeah, I felt like I couldn't get done what I wanted to do or things like that. Um, but coming back from burnout, I think is just kind of finding interest in the things that you do want to be doing or maybe shifting focus a little bit or just kind of reminding yourself if you are in a group setting that other people in your group do need you um, to kind of bring it. Mm -hmm. Do you find it was more motivating working in a group setting when you were at Harvard to kind of keep you on your toes and you had those people to rely on and ask for help? Did you enjoy that more working in a group setting or do you prefer working kind of on your own? I think what's perfect for me is being able to do individual work, but supported by a group or feeling like I'm part of a group. So these days, since I'm doing a fairly theoretical project, I mostly work alone. And yeah, I mean, I'm doing math all day or I'm coding all day. So 
that can be a little bit isolating. But if I take the time to go to my group's social meetings or I have weekly meetings with my advisor, and now that I'm teaching a course that my master supervisor also is involved in, it helps me feel much more like I'm part of our group and I get to talk to the other people from my group. And that makes me feel like I'm a member of the community. Good. That, I feel like that's so important to know that you're not alone and you have those people to rely on and um, go to for kind of that social moral support. It's so important. So what about your, your TAing now? What is the class that you're a TA for? It's called Quantum Communication and Cryptography. So really very similar to the interests of my research group. Um, and it's actually really great. I took it last year as a master's student. It's a master's level course. And we go over so many of the protocols or typical techniques that you need to know in this field. And we go over them in quite a lot of depth. So even just having the reminder of going through them again at the TA level, it has benefits for me. I love talking to the students. Um, sometimes their questions are really insightful or having to explain something in a clear way can really make you think about it better. Um, so it's quite interesting and I like doing it. Do you find it difficult to balance being the TA? Do you find it's too much work or it's kind of just right, right amount? I think in practice, it's a good amount of work, although it can be a bit demanding with the number of things you need to do. I think the way it's worked out, I had it so that I was one of the main TAs for several weeks in a row, which ended up being quite a lot of work and has shifted some attention away from my project. But soon I'll be shifting back to uh, just sort of being a supporting role in the course, and that will be a bit easier for me. Good. That's That's so cool that you have the opportunity to do that. I feel like the way that I learn when trying to digest a really big concept and understand it, teaching it to someone who doesn't really have a science background and kind of knocking it down a bit and explaining it in layman's terms makes a huge difference because you still remember the details, but you understand the basic whole picture a lot better. I feel like that's a really good way to learn. And you're obviously doing that while you're being a TA, which is so important because it applies directly to your current project. So I wanted to ask, do you know what your next couple years of life look for you? Are you going to stay in the Netherlands or do you have a plan to move back to Canada? Are you kind of waiting for an opportunity to arise itself? Yeah, so it's become a bit of a harder year to answer those questions because of pandemic-related worries. But I am looking seriously at the option of staying in the Netherlands. The conditions for a PhD here are quite good because you're an employee with benefits, uh, reasonably good salary, especially by PhD standards. And also the groups here, specifically for the field that I'm in, are very well funded, very well known. So it seems like it's a potentially very good place to grow a career. I'm also interested in a couple of groups in Austria, which for me would be a big draw because there's mountains nearby and I could really see myself spending weekends in the mountains. <laughs> but I don't currently plan on moving back to Canada. I think the funding for PhD students in Canada has suffered a little bit over the past couple of years, which makes it a bit of a hard decision to try and go back just because in Europe, some of the opportunities are a lot better mm -hmm. or in the US as well, there are some good opportunities. It's a slightly different commitment to make a 
to take on a PhD position in the US. The lifestyle and work balance between people's expectations in Europe are quite different than in the US. Um, here, people finish working at five, six, four, something like that. And they really are done at that point, exactly. which is kind of great. That is good. That's so important. I've kind of always gone off the idea that I would love to have that nine to five doing something that I love, but then being able to come home, not take my work home with me and be able to grow my life within that time. I think that that's so important. Or even having like a couple weekends off, I feel like you obviously there's many people out there that make their life all about work and if that's your personality and that's what you want to pursue then obviously do it but finding that balance and being able to kind of experience what it's like to potentially have a phd in the netherlands i think that's good that you feel that you have that work life balance versus um if you were to come back to canada or the states because definitely i would choose the netherlands option yeah. <laughs> How has, has COVID affected your project in any way? I think for my project in specific, I'm kind of insulated and a bit lucky. So usually I would be working on campus every day. I guess that would be the difference if we weren't in a bit of a restricted season right now. But I think some people are much more affected by it. Um, for example, either there will be professors not offering as many projects as they might have usually been because uh, their lab itself is a bit less productive right now. Or for students on the more experimental side, there's been a couple of weeks where they were really discouraged from going to campus. And that obviously has a big impact on an experimental project. For me, it's mostly just been that I don't get to see my group nearly as much. So often we would get coffee after lunch and then chat in the break room for a few minutes before all going back to work. And now there's just a lot less of that. Yeah, a lot less of that kind of social interaction that you kind of look forward to all day, especially when you kind of dive into um, a problem and trying to figure something out before work. And then you kind of just want to break free from that. You can't really do that from COVID. I think a lot of people are struggling with the idea that if you're working from home, if you're a student from home, it's really hard to separate your work from your physical life because it's all in the same place. So I mean, mm -hmm. adapting as we go through this pandemic, but hopefully it shouldn't last too much longer. I wanted to ask you as well, what advice do you have for someone, say, who wants to pursue an area in the quantum realm or just reaching out to discover opportunities? Do you have any advice for people a bit younger out there looking for these opportunities? I think maybe two points. The first one is to kind of not place limits on yourself that you think should be there because um, often they're not. Especially sometimes people will look at criteria that a certain opportunity has and maybe you're on the lower side of having met the criteria. Like maybe you need to have graduated your school with an 80 average to be admitted to a program. But maybe you think, oh, like I have an 80.5, like that's not going to be good enough. Like they're probably looking for someone on the higher end of the spectrum or something like that. But you should just go for it <laughs> because a lot of programs are really looking to hear from you. Sometimes really amazing opportunities don't even get applicants. Like I am from a group of scholarship students where there were six scholarships available last year, full scholarships, but only five of us really 
applied or got them. So if more people applied, they'd be happy to take them. Um, but also, as a Canadian student or somebody with education at like a very reputable higher education institution, you really have a lot of opportunities available to you. Our schools are well respected abroad. You can look at those opportunities and know that people aren't gonna like laugh at you. Like they're going to look at you and take you seriously. And the things that you do for interest or the things that you do as extracurriculars to kind of expand yourself for your own interests, like other people are interested in that too and they like to hear about it. And they do help strengthen your resume. Like they're not they're not unimportant. And so good ways to find out about opportunities are just to talk to people, like talk to your professors, the real people, a lot of them are super duper nice and they can really help connect you to other people who can help you. Um, they can tell you about things you weren't aware of, like opportunities that might exist um, that you just wouldn't hear about otherwise. So I guess that's the first point, just kind of believing in yourself. But the second point goes into that same sort of idea, but it has more to do with when you're finding it hard to believe in yourself, um, which is sort of the idea of imposter syndrome. It seems to affect a lot of people that are working in science, I think, and maybe especially women, uh, but also I think I've seen it a lot among people that I know are really high achieving. Um, so people who do great work, who always try and bring their best, um, but feel like no matter what they do, it's not enough. Um, yeah. And for me, this was kind of at the end of undergrad. And I think that the reason it was so hard was because at that point, you're kind of highly qualified. Like you have a very strong background in something extremely technical. And so in theory, you're very valuable, but you also feel very unproven because you haven't really gone out there professionally. You haven't been able to show people at maybe the level you want to. And that can be really tough because it feels like, well, what if I try and I fail? Or I'm trying right now, but it's not yet giving me the results that I want. Mm -hmm. And so it can feel like you're not enough. And I think that the important thing is just to kind of not push through it, but just to just to keep working on it. Or if you go through a period of low motivation or you go through a period of not really getting results at something that you're doing, just like know that that's okay. And keeping a group around you can really help you get through those hard times. I find it really interesting how you're talking about imposter syndrome because I never knew technically that there was a word to that feeling. And I think a lot of people experience that feeling coming out of undergrad or in their last year of undergrad, just like you said. Um, knowing a couple of people who graduated last year when the whole pandemic was happening and now being very unsure of what they want to do um, with their lives. And I find that there's a constant expectation for us to know what you want to do with your lives, especially at the end. And that's why people constantly feel the need to continue working and always feel like they need to be doing something more and prove themselves when it's okay to kind of take a step back, decide what you're, what you really want to do and go from there and kind of just lead your lead with your interests because otherwise you'll just continue working hard at maybe something that you won't really enjoy five years down the line because you're continuously trying to improve yourself or um, 
kind of compete with yourself, which is important to do. It's important to strive and have those goals, but you have to take a step back when it is becoming draining on your life and you're not really sure whether it's the right thing to be doing. So I think everyone's commonly struggles with that. Okay, so I had another question for you. I wanted to know what your life is like in the Netherlands. What's your lifestyle? What do you do for fun? Because I, it's a very different scene than it is in Canada. So go ahead. I guess the main difference between kind of living in Canada for me and living here is the town I live in is both big and small, which doesn't happen in quite the same way in Canada. So there's a hundred thousand people that live in Delft um, and much more in kind of the surrounding municipalities. But it's a very small city in itself. There's maybe five streets in Delft that are kind of like the downtown and the rest is basically just houses, but all like nice, very nice houses. Like even kind of the affordable homes here, like they're very nice from the outside or they're very well taken care of by the government, which is really cool to see. Um, but it's just very cool to be able to walk down the street and like have two 13th century churches be there um, and be kind of minutes away from the city center, minutes away from your friends, but also so many other people. <laughs> I don't know. It's just, it's very interesting to me. Um, we live across the street from a canal and there's all these crazy birds here called coots. They're black and they have white heads. They look like they're wearing a mask and I swear they're just insane. These birds have the weirdest behavior I've ever seen from any bird. Um, but yeah, I guess some other really big differences is obviously you bike everywhere here um, and the infrastructure is kind of more than I imagined even before coming because it's not like there's bike paths where where you need bike paths. It's like every street has designated bike paths literally all over the country and you can bike from any city to any other city. No hassle, extremely safe, usually in a completely designated part of the road. And like cars will stop for you always, like no question about it. And I don't think cars hit people here very often versus in Canada. That's like the constant threat. <laughs> yeah. Um, really um, something that drivers care about. I find that they um, kind of look down on the bikers whenever they're whenever they're driving so i think so too yeah and then i guess i did mention it earlier but people take work-life balance pretty seriously here as well and so that's a big part of even just your expectations at work like your boss doesn't want you to work more than you kind of are supposed to like just exactly the right amount um or people seem to believe a lot in like taking vacations or uh, spending a lot of time on their personal activities, which I think is really cool. Um, and then, yeah, one thing that's also interesting about the Netherlands is basically everybody speaks English here. They love speaking Dutch, uh, don't get me wrong. Like if you speak Dutch at slightly beyond a proficient level, then they will be very, very thrilled <laughs> uh, yeah. to speak with you in Dutch. But yeah, they'll always switch to English for you if, uh, if you just ask, and that makes coming here quite easy. Yeah, I feel like that kind of being thrown into a culture where the language is different and not knowing what anyone said, and them, the community not really helping you understand their language, that can be really scary and very intimidating. So it's good that you had a smooth transition in that sense. Did you find it? 
quite easy to make friends? Were you able to make friends um, directly with people in your master's program or how else did you meet the people that you're friends with now? I think I had a pretty easy time because of the way that my master's program started. They kind of funneled us all into some social activities in the weeks before school actually began for us. And especially among the community of international students, um, you're all arriving, none of you know anybody in the country really. And in that sense, you're all sort of desperate for friends. Mm -hmm. So it seemed pretty natural to kind of come together and form a large group. And one thing that's really cool is everyone I've met here is just kind of amazing in the things that they pursue and do. Like I know so many people who speak three languages and like play instruments super well, or they're very good at physical activities kind of on top of being very smart or like very capable in the field that they've chosen to pursue. So that's really awesome. Um, but yeah, also other great ways to meet people have just been kind of going to the gym, chatting with people there and climbing. That's a bit more normal to do than it would be maybe at a weight gym or if you're like running on the treadmill. Yeah. Um, but also just people around the city are very friendly. Like we do most of our grocery shopping at the market these days. So there's a market just in the central square of the town and the hack to living in the Netherlands is that food is way cheaper at the market than it is at the grocery store. I think this applies to most of Europe. So if you need vegetables, you get them there. And the people are so nice. We always see the same lady basically at the fruit and vegetable stall um, every week. And like, she knows we're Canadian. She's always teasing us about it. <laughs> like, uh, I don't know, people are very friendly. So it's not so hard to make friends if, uh, I don't know, if you open yourself up to it. Mm -hmm. Well, it's a beautiful place. I've always wanted to go and visit and see it. And it sounds like the culture is very warming and enjoyable. So I'm glad that you've had a very positive experience there. All right. Well, Scarlett, thank you so much for being on the WISE podcast. It was very motivating to hear from a young woman in STEM, kind of your international experience. I also find that your field is quite not mainstream. It's not as popular. I feel like you don't hear many people going down this route. So it's really interesting to hear about your experience and your opinions and your how your life has been down there in the Netherlands. So thank you for letting us have you. Thank you for having me. Of course.